Welcome to this episode of Sunday Reprise, where we bring the church to you and deliver nothing but the truth. Brought to you by Maranatha Family Church International Ministries in Davao City, Philippines. We hope this message will bless you. Let's go. I want to talk to you today about God is normal. God is normal. You might think, well, that's kind of a unique title, but I want to get into it here. Kevin DeYoung said, worldliness is what makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. I want to read that again. Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. You know, in this world, if you want to live as a normal, biblical, Jesus-loving Christian, you're going to look strange to the world because they, they don't live in righteousness. And everybody else around us who doesn't know the Lord, to them, what is normal is different than our definition. But our definition has been redefined by the God of the Bible, by his son, Jesus Christ, who was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And he made his living among us, not simply because he just only came to die on a cross, but to model for us what it means to live as a Christian, as a true disciple of Jesus, of God the Father in the midst of any circumstance in life. There was not anything that we would go through in this life that Jesus doesn't understand. It says in a scripture that he was tempted in all ways such as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows what it feels like to be human and and to be tempted and to endure and go through trials and be rejected and despised by men. He totally understands the way, the pressures and the way that we have to live here in this life. And so I believe part of the reason why Jesus came was to help us to learn that when he died on that cross and rose from the dead and was bruised and beaten, you know, for our iniquity, for our healing, all of these things was because he wanted us to live a kingdom lifestyle. He wanted us to learn how to walk and live in righteousness. He didn't simply just want to do his thing and do his part and then go. No, it's always been the heart of Jesus to draw us to the Father. He wanted not only to get us free from sin, but to bring us into a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. Righteousness is what is normal for the Christian. Therefore, God is normal. When we sinned, we were not living a normal life the way that God designed us since we were created in his image. So listen, whatever is normal to God is where our identity should come from. Not from this world, not from how we grew up, not the way that our parents necessarily raised us if it wasn't in a a Christian home with biblical principles, but our identity comes from the God of the Bible. You know, I keep hearing this phrase right now with the coronavirus, the pandemic around the world, is that everybody is using this phrase called a new normal. Like there's a new redefining taking place. 
And I looked up on the Urban Dictionary, and it defines the new normal as this. The current state of being after some dramatic change has transpired. What replaces the expected usual typical state after an event occurs. So in other words, when something happens that we weren't expecting, it should redefine what normal is. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, this is what I believe is the difference between joy and happiness. If if you're happy because you have money in your pocket and then that money's gone because you pay bills or go shop and do whatever you need to do, does that mean that you're not happy anymore? Well, see, that's the difference because joy is not just having money in your pocket. Joy is understanding that God's with you and for you no matter if you have money in your pocket or not. And because you realize that God's for you, then money, whether you have it or not, does not redefine how you walk in peace or walk in love or walk in joy towards others. But you continually walk in consistency with God despite whether things are going good or bad. So God is the one who is normal. And we should not be redefined by anything. Let me get more into this. I believe we should practice during this season of social distancing and all the changes going on, neighborly love and respect for one another. Um, You know, but we should not be so encouraged by someone else's present state to redefine who we are. Now, I understand that most of our governments are trying to do what they can and, and, and keeping the people safe and keeping the death rate down. And, and while I totally respect them when we pray for them, we honor their leadership and authority. You know, there's some things that, you know, we're seeing right now that if if we're saying that we have to stay in our home for the rest of the year and, you know, uh, we can't have churches. You know, here in America right now, some places churches are not allowed to meet yet, but yet they have, you know, abortion clinics are open. And they, you know, have grocery stores open that hundreds and thousands of people are going to every single day, but we can't have church because it's not viewed as something essential. Well, I happen to believe that the church is extremely essential. And while we still listen and honor those who are in authority, you know, if they have an agenda, a liberal agenda that says, well, we just believe we should continue the social distancing because, you know, churches can just meet online. You know, they don't have to meet together. You know, for the longest time, the world has tried to encourage a church to just stay in your buildings. Now, we hear them saying, okay, yeah, this is good. Just stay online now. We don't want you to not meet. You know, but in Scripture, it talks about that we should not give up the manner of meeting together. Of course, you know, if you're in a persecuted country and you can't meet together because you could die for your faith, it, it may be good to meet in small groups and things like that. But if, if governments are telling us, um, you know, and again, I'm referring to the U.S. because I'm not as familiar with the situation in the Philippines because we're not there, that we can't meet at all because they have a, a different agenda behind the reasoning of what they consider to be a new normal, then 
there's going to come a point where we're going to have to resist and obey God's word over man. Now, are we at that point? I don't believe we're at that point right now. However, we do have to walk this balance of understanding that the kingdom of God needs to be our foundation. I'm not trying to encourage any resistance right now or, or, or you know, using the root word revolution or anything like that, because I don't think we're at that point. I think for most part, we, we again, you know, our governments are doing the best job they know to do. Maybe some are doing it better than others. But when it comes to freedom of religion and worship and gathering together, you know, when it's allowed in some areas and that the, the world would consider it's okay, like having an abortion, an abortion clinic, I consider that absolutely biblically wrong and that we need to be able to meet together as a church. Anyway, I think you understand what I'm saying with that. But the present state of what everybody else is saying, we have to constantly compare that to what God's normal is, to what his kingdom normal is. If the standards other set go against God's word, then we do not conform to their image. If others ask me to do something, not focus on changing my identity, then I really don't have a problem with, you know, doing what we need to do in order to, you know, make sure that we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. If, if I have to wear a mask, I personally don't, haven't been wearing a mask much because we haven't been going out, but then I haven't felt a need to do that. But if a place says to me that if you want to come in a store, you need to wear a mask, then I'll wear a mask. I'm not going to say, well, Jesus says this, you know, or that, or the Bible says that. No, because it's not the, you know, they're just trying to, you know, protect all people who come into their establishment. But ultimately, we need to understand that if somebody's asking us to uh, change for the better of everybody, you know, and social distancing and things like that, that's fine. But if they're asking us to change our identity, that what you believe is ridiculous and we don't believe and they'll call the Bible or God fairy tales, then obviously we have a big difference of understanding and of what truth is. You know, prideful redefining of what is normal for everyone has been taking place for centuries. When Babylon took over Jerusalem, King Nebuchadnezzar tried to redefine what was normal for Daniel and his friends. In uh, Daniel chapter 1, I'll just go ahead and read this chapter. It's only like, I think, 17, 18 verses. It says, In the third year, of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. So here, the Babylonians come in, they take over Jerusalem, the king of Judah is captured and his family, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's not what, you know, the Jews were wanting or expecting, but God is allowing it. And we even know that during that time is when the prophet Jeremiah was being told these things were going to happen and to submit to it and, and to prophesy to the king of Judah, but he wasn't paying attention to Jeremiah. Yet it happened anyway. Verse 3, 
Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking. I think maybe I would have been a part of that group. (laughs) But gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach language and literature of the Chaldeans. So the Babylonians took the best of, uh, you know, the the young men and and the, uh, you know, the ones who were, they can train and equip in their language and use for their benefit, basically using them as slaves uh, to benefit and grow their kingdom. In verse 5, it says, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of the time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave these names. He gave Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel was a man of conviction. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. In other words, if you don't eat the food that the king's providing for you, you're going to get me in trouble too. Verse 11, so Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you. And the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, their features were better and fatter in the flesh than all the young men who ate a portion of the king's delicacies. Thus, the steward took away the portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for the Four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all All none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding by which they examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year 
of King Cyrus. So I want to summarize some of this, and I think there's some important points we can really learn about not allowing ourselves to be redefined by what's happening around us. And look, this this doesn't necessarily uh, mean I'm talking about the, the pandemic, the coronavirus, but in your home. You might be living in a home where you're the only Christian. You might work at a job where you're the only Christian or school or neighborhood or village, barangay. Whatever the situation is, we, you know, the church should not be changed by the world, but the church is called to change the world. But unfortunately, the church has been changed by the world for so long that we have forgotten how normal God is and what he's calling us to be is different. You know, the scripture says that we are seated presently right now with Christ in heavenly places. That means, you know, you might see yourself in a natural realm in this earth right now, but when you were born again, you were immediately seated with Christ in heavenly places. Therefore, you and I should have a totally different perspective that our citizenship is in heaven and the and the calling, the great commission, the authority that God's given us as being disciples of Christ is to live differently in this life. It's amazing to me how many Christians during this time and season are just kind of rolling over and doing what everybody else tells them. Now, I again, I, I don't know if it's the same way in the Philippines as it is here, but um, and, and even in other countries, there seems to be a lot of control coming from government officials here in America that are very liberal. They, they hate God. They, they love abortion. They love the murder of babies. They, they are promoting socialism and communism and things like that in, in, in different ways. But they, you know, we can't just keep our good economy and ignore the kingdom of God to live the way that we want to live. Look, I, there's things I miss. I want to be in the Philippines right now. I want my family to be there. We want to start fire school in June. You know, we want to be able to be with you guys uh, for worship and 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 laying hands and praying and enjoying the awesome worship team at Maranatha and traveling different places and preaching and teaching and making disciples and holding conferences and feeding the kids in Agdow and all these things. Look, but it's all changed right now. But that doesn't mean because it's changed that we stop living as what normal Christians should live. We should be more on fire for God now than than if we were together. Because when pressure is applied, it reveals the person. It shows who we really are. Let me, you need to ask yourself a question. Am I really realizing how much of a Christian or a disciple of Christ I am during this season? Because if you find that you're not hungry for the presence of God and meeting with God, despite having all the time in the world to meet with him, then you need to come before the Lord humbly and say, God, change my heart. 
Help me to be like you. Help me to have a hunger for you. Help me to have a thirst for you. Help me to get out of the flesh and give myself over to you in this time and season. We always cry out and pray for revival and awakening. But then when God begins to shake things up, people say, I just want to go back to the way that things were. Well, maybe the way that things were is not the way that God wanted them to be. And he could not send revival unless we get shaken up and say, God, change my heart. I realize that I'm farther from you than I thought I was. I'm not saying, friend, that you're living in gross sin or a slave to sin. I don't know. If you are, repent and get right with God today. But maybe you're a believer just realizing that, you know, I wasn't as hungry pursuing God like I should be. And during this time and season, there's a little bit more fear in people's hearts right now because they're recognizing that, the normal of what Christianity is and has been to us is probably different than what it was in definition to God. And I think he's wanting to redefine what our definition of normal is and that we would not accept what the world is only saying and even what religion says, even if it's other Christians, you know, but that we would listen to his voice and be captured by his presence and pursue his glory and say, God, I'm only satisfied by being in your presence. So look at here. Let me summarize this, uh, Daniel chapter 1. So King Nebuchadnezzar brought Daniel. Look at the redefining that was taking place in Daniel's life. King Nebuchadnezzar brought Daniel and his friends to his palace to feed and re-educate him for three years. He, he changed even changed Daniel's Hebrew name to a Babylonian name, to Belshazzar. Daniel refused. Remember, I said he was a man of conviction. He had the fear of the Lord in his heart. God wasn't just his friend or his buddy. No, God was holy to him. God was righteous. God saved his life from from sin and destruction and death. And yet, here he is. He says he refused to defile himself by eating the uh, Babylonian foods because he was keeping a kosher diet. God gave Daniel favor with the Babylonian uh, officials. You know, they looked upon Daniel favorably. It's amazing how when we don't allow the world to change us, how we have to step out in faith and live differently. And whether people like us or accept us or not should not be the reason whether we choose to live for God or not. We live for God regardless. We never give up loving Jesus and following his, the principles of the word of God, you know, and listening to his voice and obeying him even in the smallest secret thing when nobody's looking. We always continue to pursue God. Daniel was that way. And even the officials, Daniel was, he says, sorry, I'm not going to eat that food. Okay, you can change my name. You can try and re-educate me, but there's something on the inside of me that I just can't let go of and I'm never going to be the same again. And it wasn't anybody in Babylon who was going to change Daniel. God had positioned Daniel for such a time as this to change the Babylonians. And then he, he had favor with the Babylonians. Daniel submitted himself to be tested by the Babylonians. He said, go ahead, test us. We'll eat this way for 10 days and then you come in and test us and see if we look. 
He was confident, not in just food or in a diet. He was confident in the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the fire of God that was burning in his heart. And he said, I'm not going to let go from what has begun on the inside of me. I know that my God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one and only true God. There is no other name under heaven. There is no other God. There, it's, it's wrong to worship any other God. So I'm going to live by my convictions. Daniel submitted himself to be tested. God gave Daniel knowledge, skills, wisdom, visions, and dreams. Look, we all say we want to walk in the supernatural. Let me give you a secret of how to walk in the supernatural. Obey God in the natural. Obey God, even when in the natural realm, in this worldly realm, it's not popular. Live righteously. And when God sees fit for you and I to demonstrate his kingdom with power, he knows how to speak to us. He knows how to demonstrate his kingdom in and through our lives. If we will just simply submit ourselves to whatever place and season of life that we're in. That's all we have to do in this situation right now. I know it's hard. I know some of you want to get out and go play basketball and go to the mall and go to the coffee shop and be with your family and friends. And I, I, I can't imagine for some of you, I know some of the conditions of the homes that you live in and it's hard. I understand that. But my friend, if you focus on the problem so much, you're going to lose sight on how big God is. And if you'll focus on how big he is, then your perspective will change. He'll give you a heart that will be satisfied and patient and enduring. And during this season, he'll build your faith muscles so that when the time and season comes for him to demonstrate his kingdom, he's going to be able to find the man or the woman that he's looking for and say, this is the one whom I've chosen to demonstrate my kingdom. Praise God. God, uh, Daniel eventually interprets King Nebuchadnezzar's dream and is promoted by King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm just going to read the end of Daniel chapter two. So, you know, he had King Nebuchadnezzar had was asking for someone to interpret his dream. He was, you know, uh, making threats to other people. You know, if you're not going to interpret it, then, you know, I'm going to wipe people out. And Daniel stands up because, look, he had boldness and courage. He was living for God when it wasn't popular. And then when he, when God needed a man to come up and stand and, and be strong in the face of the the most powerful king and authority in this earth. At that time, he had a word from God. Look at this in, in uh, Daniel 2, starting in verse 46. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar, after he heard Daniel interpret his dream and give him understanding, fell on his face. The king of Babylon, who took over uh, Jerusalem, he, he, he prostrated himself before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering in incense to Daniel. In other words, he was saying, we need to worship this guy. But look at Daniel, man of conviction. He's not moved by criticism or praise. I remember Reinhard Bonnke one time, people said, you know, you have such a, a successful ministry and thousands of people, you know, you preach to. And Reinhard Bonnke probably preached more to more people face to face than anybody in history. 
And, and, and somebody asked him one time, why does criticism not bother you when, when they criticize you? He said, because I don't allow praise to bother me. You see, Daniel was not intimidated by them thinking of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians that he's some type of God because he knew who his identity was. He knew that God's normal was the way to live, not the world's normal. Therefore, his identity was going to stand out in the midst of even a, a, a situation that seemed hopeless. Verse 7, then the king answered Daniel and said, truly, your God, come on. Look at this. Your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and revealer of secrets. Since you could reveal this secret. Man, look, friend, if you want revelation to come to your lost family member, to come to your officials in your community, to come to those around you, I want to tell you, God can do it, but he's looking for a man. He's looking for a woman. He's looking for somebody who's going to live when it's unpopular to live for Jesus so that when the time comes that he needs to find a man to stand in a gap, he's going to find that person, that man, that woman, that old man, that old woman, that, that young man or woman, whatever. He's going to find you and he's going to promote you as we humble ourselves before him. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. He, look, this guy was basically a slave. And now he's becoming the chief. Verse 49. Also Daniel petitioned the king. And he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his, his brothers and the Lord, over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Oh, my friend, I'm telling you. God's looking for people who will sit in his gate, in his presence, and who will enjoy him despite the challenges around them right now so that when the time comes that he needs a man or a woman to stand in the gate of the kings of this earth, he'll find the right person that he can trust. I want to be that man. I want to be that person that when God needs somebody to be there, I want to be walking with him, even when it's unpopular, when things are hard, when it's financial pressure, when there's sickness and disease, when people are dying. Look, I'm, I, we need to continue to claim Psalm 91 and live that way and, and change our lives before this holy God and trust that the name of Jesus is more powerful than any other name and it doesn't matter what the world is saying and what is popular. We simply obey God and watch him open up doors and rip open the heavens and pour out his spirit and do the things that we're crying out for. Hallelujah. Look, in closing, you know, there's a lot we can learn from Daniel and his friends. Our personal convictions from God and his word must always be the foundation of our life. We can't just be guided by what everybody else says. We got to seek him on our own. We got to know the voice of the Lord. We got to hide his word in, the, in our heart that we might not sin against him. Knowing our identity protects us from being redefined by what others are saying is now the new normal. 
Look, friend, Christians need to show the world what the real normal is all about. Daniel was promoted not because he threw away his Jewish identity, but because he was convinced the God he served was more powerful than the king of Babylon and the gods of the Babylonians. He trusted God to lead him even through his valley of the shadow of death. I believe Daniel probably claimed Psalm 23 over his life at that time. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. Look, my friend, you got to claim these things over your life. You got to train yourself to be godly. You have to recognize that the real normal is the way of being a Christian, is the way that Jesus lived. Daniel honored God without compromising his beliefs before King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel's biblical foundations enabled him to walk by faith and not by how he felt or what he saw. He was able to make decisions without his identity being redefined by those around him. Let me say this. Our new normal must always be defined by who God is and what is normal to him. Hebrews 13.8, we all know the scripture well, says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe it's in the book of Exodus. He says, I am the Lord and I don't change. He's the same. He's always been there and always will be. When we get right with God, we're the ones who need to change and get back to normal. We need to line up with who he is. We were created in his image. Jesus came to bring us back to restoring us to our heavenly father so that we can live and move and have our being in him and him alone. Since the God of the Bible has set all standards for us, it is foolish for any of us to believe that we have the authority to set a new standard for anybody else. Friend, when, when Casey and I first got married, I thought my job as a husband was to tell her to submit to me all the time. But I didn't realize that that was not God's way of leadership. God's way of leadership is to lay your life down, is for me to lay my life down. And by doing that and walking in humility, I'm initiating Casey to be able to want to submit and obey and walk with uh, God and, and walk in our relationship together. And so far, we have an amazing relationship, 23 years being married, five kids, and I'm so blessed. But this is how God wants us to come to him, is we love because he first loved us. He, he laid his life down for us. Look, because of what Jesus did is the reason why that you and I can obey him and live for him. Listen, I want to exhort you guys, be a normal Christian. Don't, don't make excuses. Don't just listen to what everybody else says. Don't just be guided by the crowd. Look, we haven't been able to meet together as a church. And a lot of people, we gain strength together when we come together as a body. And that's awesome. But I want to tell you something. You need to live for Jesus when nobody else is looking. When the pastor's not there. I think Pastor Armin and Ati Libo, their family, amazing people. Pastor Buddy, Monet, amazing. We have amazing leaders and workers and worshipers and, I mean, people that are serving God, home group leaders and all that. And we haven't been able to do 
As far as I can tell, you haven't been able to do any of that. Friend, live for Jesus. When we come back together as the body of Christ, I want to tell you, when you guys come back together, we're not sure when we'll be able to be back. Please pray for our family. We hope to be back as soon as we can. But it might be sometime after September, October. We're not sure right now. But regardless, we live for Jesus. We don't stop meeting with him and fellowshipping with him. Look, even if you're thrown in a prison cell, friend, you could still live for Jesus. You could still live. They, they can't keep you from praying. <laughs> That's why the, maybe the gift of tongues is so important. You know, because if we don't pray in it now when, when, we're, when there's freedom and all those things, we surely will pray in it when there's persecution, when we don't know what to say anymore, right? Look, when we come back together... And when churches all around the world are coming back together, I'm praying that there's an explosion of joy. I'm praying there's an explosion of praise. Look, if the enemy can infect this world with this virus and destroy so many lives in in just months, what can God do when his church comes back together, hopefully after meeting with him in secret for months? There should be an explosion. should be like a match to gasoline. Friend, I want to encourage you. Don't go through this season and wish you would have given yourself over to the Lord more. Get back to normal now. Getting back to normal is not when everything is just lining up and fixed the way that things were. If we want revival and awakening, there's going to be a lot of changes. And all of those changes begin in your heart and begin in my heart. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for everybody listening today. And I ask God that you would speak to us and draw us back into the secret place, into the place of being normal with you, that you would be our sole desire and passion of our heart. God, I love you and I thank you for the Philippines and our brothers and sisters there. I ask, Lord, that you move upon their hearts And let them be the new standard setters because, Lord, they're following hard after you. That we would come out and change the world, not be changed by the world. Help us to say that our God is what is normal. And we were created in his image. And we will show you what a normal Christian looks like. We love you all. We bless you in Jesus' name. Love you. Bye. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for joining us. Keep in touch with us via Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash mfcdvo or search for Maranatha Family Church Davao on Facebook where we also stream our church service. Again, that's facebook.com slash mfcdvo. We hope to see you there. God bless.